Hi everyone, welcome to In The Good Company podcast. My name is Anya and I could not be more excited to start this journey with you and create this platform podcast to share the stories of people who've created or are creating now businesses that are changing uh, the world in a positive way. In this first episode, I'm talking to Rich Alapak, who is the founder and owner of We All Live Here, a company business movement that is positively affecting the lives of many kids in the Chicago area, as well as all over the world, with this beautiful message of inclusivity and togetherness and making art together. I hope you'll enjoy, even though quality of this first episode, I sincerely apologize for. I, we recorded it several months ago when I did not know nothing about podcast recording. But it's not about that and perfection. It's about uh, sharing a story. And um, believe me, a lot of juicy details there. We talk with Rich about money. We talk about breakthrough moments. We talk about um, tough moments when creating the business. And we also talk about uh, apps and programs that Rich and we could not run our businesses without. So I hope you'll enjoy In the Good Company with Rich Alapak and we all live here. Hello, hello. I'm so excited um, for my first guest, Rich Alapak. Um, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you. I'm so excited um, to have you here because I am truly inspired and um, in love with the project you are doing. It's called Thank you. We All Live Here. And some of you may already have seen it around the city. Um, but let's start from the beginning. Um, it's 2015. You went for a walk with your dog. Uh-huh. And what happened? So how the We All Live Here idea started, how it came to you? Tell sure. I, so I think it actually goes back a little bit further than that. Um, I, I moved to the States from Canada when I was a senior in high school. And I moved here to play baseball. I moved to Prior Lake, Minnesota. In Prior Lake, Minnesota, they have a tribe of Native Americans that run a very successful tribal casino. And so when I moved, I had to say goodbye to everyone I knew within the span of three days. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, it seems like that would be a difficult thing or missing your, your family or your friends from your whole life would be a difficult thing. Going to your senior year in a whole new place, that might be a difficult thing. Those were all fine. For me, the hardest part, though, was this frequency and volume of hateful things mm -hmm. that people said about this tribe. So I would try to correct people and I would try to say, hey, don't talk like that. You sound like an idiot. Why do you want to put that kind of thought out into the world? And I didn't feel like it made any impact. Nobody radically shifted in how they were talking about these people they were jealous of. Right. And, and I think that that bothers me. And I think that that has always bothered me. And so right. when I was walking my dog that night in Bucktown, there was this white wall garage that I had been playing this silly little thought game with because it had never been tagged. It had never been graffitied. It always looked like it was going to fall down. And so I started thinking to myself, what could I maybe write on that, that wall that wouldn't need to be removed, that the owner would want to have? 
And we all live here popped in my head on this one particular night. And I think it was because I was reflecting on how I came to the United States from Canada. And when I first thought of it, I, it just stopped me in my tracks because we all live here to me encompasses gender equality, racial equality, sexual right. equality, the environment. All these things are kind of difficult topics. Mm-hmm. And um, so it struck me that something so simple could yet cover all these really complex, hard to talk about topics. And I knew that was powerful and I knew I could do something with it, but I wasn't really sure what that something was yet. Okay. So, so then what was next? What, what, what was your first step? Because I think, you know, how do you get started? Yeah. Like, the good ideas but then there's like moment like what are we going what to do with that like how to start where to start how did you start and yeah and well um then? having like a designer kind of mentality i decided that what i wanted to first do was see if the phrase meant something to anyone else besides me uh if it wouldn't have then i probably wouldn't have moved for, forward with this idea but um so i wanted to look for some way of testing whether or not this mattered to anybody else so what i did is I had these signs printed and they were kind of like sign kits. I mean, Mm -hmm. we think of signs, we think of like billboards or something like that. It wasn't like that. I made them on standard, you know, eight and a half by 11 paper that was, you know, thicker cardstock. I had them printed black with white text on one side and white with black on the other side. Right. And I, I had them made so it was the whole phrase letter by letter, word by word, and then the whole thing on one sign. So no matter what size group of people I walked up to, I would have a way to engage the entire group and not just like one person out of five or whatever. And so I just started walking up to strangers like a weirdo and (laughs) going up to them saying, hey, can you hold this sign so I can take your picture? I have this blog. And, you know, that's a little bit weird activity to engage in. But I was an outgoing person, so it wasn't that strange to me, although other people may not take that approach. So the first place I did that was Pitchfork. If right. I couldn't get this to happen on a music festival, then mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't going to be able to get it to happen on the street. That went really well. I ended up with hundreds of portraits of people from Pitchfork. And then I started to go to the touristy spots around town. I started to go to like the Bean and Wrigley Field and places like that so that I could see if I could get other people to do it. And there was this watershed moment where a buddy of mine who's a lawyer, yeah, um, full suit and everything he had the signs and he got some families to do this in daily plaza and i kind of felt like well if if jake can do this in full lawyer attire (laughs) and get people to actually pay attention to him then there's got to be something here that that resonates with folks so i got bold i went to Lollapalooza, and we ended up with thousands of yeah, portraits I think, I of think people. I've seen some pictures of yeah, from and I, I got really lucky there too because the signs being black with white text and white with black text that gave me the opportunity to just ask people to flip them while I was speaking to them, and then that way right. they could um, I could animate those those images and turn them into animated gifs really easily just by like taking a couple and putting them together and. That helped because I think that that's part of the reason why Tumblr ended up featuring the blog. So at the time I worked at Tumblr, and that sounds like a great hookup, but it's actually the opposite of a hookup. You really can't get your blog featured if you're an employee of Tumblr. They have very strict editorial policies. Right. So, um, but 
they made an exception because they liked the message. They liked what I was doing. Yeah. And then because I had like taken the, the extra step of animating these photos, it made it a little bit more visually interesting. And, and so they, when they, they featured it, that really was the genesis for it taking off because then all of a sudden it went viral and exposure. Yeah. And you need all the help you can get with regards to that, because I think there's this myth today that, you know, things happen by going viral and yeah. really that doesn't really exist. It's like, no, you always, yeah, there's, there's, and especially today, it's even different than it was then, which wasn't, isn't that long ago, but the algorithms have changed. You can't really just like count on even all the people that follow you getting to see what you're putting out there. So, um, it's, it's important to try to get as much exposure as you can, no matter what. Yeah. So makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got the idea, you kind of tested the waters and the market, people mm-hmm. loved it. And then what next? So, what um, next? I, you know, I, uh, to a certain extent, I felt a little bit embarrassed because this thing started getting popular and all I was doing effectively was in my mind, I was just showing I wasn't shy and I didn't think that that was, you know, that I wasn't accomplishing whatever I felt like I could be doing with this. And then I had the opportunity to go speak to a local high school out in Oak Lawn about what this was and running a blog. Um, it was just a media studies class. And so after I Mm -hmm. did that, um, somehow that made the local paper just talking to their class And the principal called me and was like, hey, man, that was really cool. We didn't realize, you know, what we're really signing up for when we had you come out here. But would you mind coming back out here and talking to more of our classes? And so I did. I went back and I spoke to five different classes over the course of a day. And all of that went really well and well enough where the principal then called me a third time and said, what can we do as a whole school with this phrase? That's cool. That was the moment where I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I should do something with schools. That that makes sense. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. I didn't have an answer for him at the time. I just said, you know, time out. I'll, I'll think of something. I'll get back to you. Um, but that's what led to the creation of this program called ACT. ACT stands for Art, Community, and Technology. Um, basically, what we do is we create a public art project at a school. I brainstorm that with, like, the principal and maybe an art teacher. Hopefully, the school has an art teacher, unfortunately, more schools than I would like don't have art teachers. Yeah. Um, but once we come up with a plan, then I go back to the school, I give an assembly to the entire population. That I did on purpose because I was really biased towards sharing the message with every student and not just some after school matters programs, students yeah. or some enrichment kids or some kids that were just into art. I really wanted to reach everyone. And mm-hmm. plus, thinking back to my own schooling, the things that made the most impact on me were when speakers came to our school. It just seems way more important when someone is talking to the entire population rather than just a group. So um, started doing that, and um, I was also really lucky. The very first school was Pulaski Elementary in Bucktown, which was the, the closest school to my house. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to get the closest school to my house to do this because I would have been really embarrassed if that didn't happen. Luckily, they did. So you but just went there and kind awkwardly of- knocked on the door like a weirdo. Like, like it, a tall weirdo. if you don't have, <laughs> yeah, if you don't have kids at a school, uh, unfortunately, there's this weird um, kind of stigma about that, right? Yeah. Like I have no 
why you're doing just this? because why I'm a neighbor of the school, here? like society has this idea that I don't have any interest or vested interest in the school. And, and I think that that's kind of crappy. I think yeah. uh, we all pay for our schools with our taxes. And if we have something to offer a school, there should be an on-ramp for us to be able to offer that to the school. So, you know, effectively, I was hoping that what I was doing could maybe establish that kind of an on-ramp. And anyway, um, I, I went and I made the awkward introduction. I told them what they, I wanted to do. They helped. But most importantly for me, um, that principal, she gave me the kind of lay of the land as an outsider from the school system. Yeah. My initial thing was, okay, I'll, I'll go get approved by CPS. Why wouldn't CPS approve this kind of a thing? And um, she told me right away, she's like, look, you're an action-oriented type of person, I can tell. And if you go to CPS, it's going to take them 12 to 15 months to approve you, and you're going to move on to something else because you're going to be so frustrated by that bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah. And I'm glad that she said that because she, she told me, she's like, principals have the authority to do whatever they want at their school. Okay, and so she kind of... yeah, so she helped me mm -hmm. a lot because she just said, go to principal to principal, teacher to teacher, school to school, because it will spread. They will all want to do this. You just have to, you know, make it happen and then it'll hit a cr certain critical mass. And I don't know exactly what that number was, but we ended up doing 55 schools that first year. Um, and all of that is due to the fact that she had that conversation with me and she was right. Yeah. Teachers tell teachers, principals tell principals, students tell students, parents tell parents. Word of mouth. And, and that word yeah. of mouth made it just get into more places. Yeah. So, Hey, next time when you, if you need it, borrow my kids when you go to school. <laughs> <laughs> well, we still need to do your kids' <laughs> school. Kidding. I don't know why we haven't done that. I know. I told them I have to follow up mm. with them. So it looks like the really Tumblr moment was like one of the mm -hmm. um, bigger for we all, we all live here. What do you think? Was there any other kind of like a crucial moment, like a breakthrough? Um, well, let's go back for a second and talk about the Tumblr thing, because what was really cool was getting messages from strangers in other parts of the world. Yeah, um, That was important to me because it made me realize like, wow, this doesn't just apply here. This applies around the world. If someone is writing me from Vietnam, I have no idea what their life is like in Vietnam. And if they're inspired enough by just me going around and posting pictures of strangers, imagine what could be um, yeah. with this. And so that basically compelled me to do something because I didn't want to let those people down who are already vocally supporting something that I didn't think was anything yet. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I think that that was a really important moment. I think after I started doing the schools, that was its own validation because I would start going into these different neighborhoods and these different communities. But I was being interviewed for something by um, WGN and I was supposed to come up with a, a quote. And so I asked Pulaski um, for a quote and the kindergarten teacher actually supplied the quote we ended up using. Um, we got more than one quote, obviously, but yeah. hers talked about how, you know, the project there was to put We All Live Here on, on the fence in English and the fence in Spanish. And that um, solved this tension that the school was having that I didn't even know, even though I had been living next to that school for 11 years at the time. 
the gentrification of the neighborhood had pushed out the Spanish-speaking population only for them to be bused back to go to the same school they used to live next to because it had this IB program, which um, taught students Spanish. So they had a problem trying to get English and Spanish-speaking parents to kind of hang out and get to know each other. So they tried block parties and they tried barbecues and they tried all kinds of different activities to try to get people to co-mingle. And it didn't happen. And all of a sudden, by doing this We All Live Here project, people started to get to know each other and people started to kind of figure out who each other was. And that was important because if it hadn't happened, you know, that school, that right away we had this tremendous success story of, of bringing people together, which was kind of the whole point. And so that first teacher's quote was something like, I'm paraphrasing, so it's probably wrong to a certain degree, but her quote was, um, at first it was about helping the students understand what this means. Right. And then once the students understood what it meant, they would start to come in and tell us these we all live here stories as they kind of happened over the course of their lives. And that was kindergartners. So, you know, worst case scenario in my head was that this thing would, you know, have a different mindset in kids 20 years from now, right? Like Mm -hmm. if everything else failed and nothing else worked, at least they might have this idea from when they were a kindergarten student and it would echo throughout their life and things would be a little bit better. But already, like we had this tremendous success of bringing people together and I... Oh, it's, it just stands out to me as a really important thing. Right? right that so was, that's an amazing part. Yeah. And simple is better. Like, simple is always better. I, I was working with UIC yeah. on, on making their libraries more welcoming. And um, initially, we had to break through that this was something that mattered to adults and not just students or not just kids. And um, we finally were able to break through. I, I did an activity with... There are 80 different um, library administration, librarians, staff, etc. And we broke the group up into 10 groups of eight. And each of them created We All Live Here's out of post-it notes on the wall because we couldn't make any mess in this place. And so they ended up doing them on the windows so that the message went out mm-hmm. of, the, of the building into the broader part of campus and ended up kicking off this whole thing on campus. And that's pretty awesome. So yeah. Definitely, it yeah. does. It definitely resonates with adults too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's so weird that when you're trying to kind of not kind of but make the world better, it seems like a on the childish idea. But it's it's you know it, it shouldn't be right. It's a it's an important matter, and it seems like a cliche make a world better. But I think like we are at the moment that it's so important, and so crucial to do something uh, in that area to try to make it better, um, just well, like you do. Everybody is really divided right now. Um, we've got this, we've you hit think? this point in our society where it's not just division, but it's division and defense. So folks are, are not just pushed to their corners like boxers, so to speak, but they're standing there ready to fight anyone who says anything about what they believe in. And I think that that is a really dangerous point in our society where we have these kind of people willing to fight or engage with each other in a really verbally abusive best case scenario kind of situation. And I think in order for us to stop that, we have to have a common ground. We have to have a baseline common denominator where we can at least agree on that. 
And I feel like something like we all live here is 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 that kind of baseline yeah, we, we, because we it's can definitely agree that yeah. There's you here. can't dispute that we all live here, right? Yeah. And so we we have to kind of find that common ground so that we can build from there. Yeah, 100% agreed. Um, okay, so we talk about kind of like a breakthrough moments, uh, but of course it's not, you know, all roses and butterflies. Sure. <laughs> um, tell me about some tough moments when you're like, God, I don't freaking know if I want to do it anymore. Like, were there any moments like this? Well, yeah. And um, what did you do? And So I had to make a, a dramatic lifestyle change. I mean, I, I was making a lot more money doing what I was doing before. And I, I guess I, I felt like one, I, I was naively confident in my own abilities to make something successful so that whatever I was giving up would only be a temporary giving up and I could replace it eventually anyways. But I, I felt like I was uniquely positioned in that I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids if anyone was going to be able to like take such a blind leap of faith, it was me. And so I felt like I had a network of people that would support something like this. I didn't um, know exactly what they would be supporting or how to communicate that down to them or anything like that. But I felt like just keep plugging away and keep pushing forward and we'll try to make this thing a success. And so um, it was a definite struggle when, mm -hmm. you know, I had to sell my car and all these things that I had that I thought were important before when I realized that they weren't really that important at all. And so it was okay to kind of do that for the purpose of advancing what I wanted to do. Yeah. The other thing is, is I think at a certain point you want to do something with your life that is what you want to do with your life. And not just go to work building someone else's you. dream, right? Yeah. So many people are working on someone else's dream. And that's fine. Some people are fine doing that. I wasn't. I, I was an entrepreneur in college. I am the type of person that kind of has always wanted to make my own way in the world. And so being able to tie that to my actual creativity, which I think is one of my, my best attributes, was something that I, you know, probably would have, if I had the foresight to design, like, what is my life going to be like, which is not at all how it works. Yeah. Um, I would have wanted to do that. I would have sat there and tried to figure out what could I do that capitalizes on my creativity for a greater purpose, but never could I have designed something like this. It all just happens organically. You start solving problems as the problems come forward. And I think like one of the things people need to really understand is there is no perfect time to start a business. Yeah. There is no perfect set of circumstances. That's an illusion of, of your own creation in your own mind. Just Compressed get going. Yeah. yeah. Just get going. Just start putting one foot in front of the other. Even if you don't know where you're walking yet, because, um, the other thing too, is you need to share your idea. You need to like, that's kind of counterintuitive to most people, especially when I talk with kids a lot, Yeah, kids are worried that someone's going to steal their idea. In actuality, most people are, are really lazy and they were not, they're never going to get any movement forward, let alone to, enough movement forward to steal your idea. So that doesn't mean like go shout it out at the rooftops. If you've got like the secret sauce or whatever, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it means like 
there's people that know you that will help you bring what you want to do to life. And I think that's important for kids to understand, especially, especially in our less fortunate communities. If you have a good idea, people will help you bring it to life, but only if they know about your idea. So you have to be able to get it out there and tell people that, Hey, this is what I want to do. This is why I think it'll work. And just articulating that to a certain degree will also make your idea better. Yeah, because it's just like your story as you were, right. ta- you were telling about uh, principals right. who kind right. of directed you cert- in a certain way or gave you advice that shape everything further, right? Yeah, imagine if I had never asked her, you know, how should I, how should I approach this? <laughs> if Can't. I hadn't asked her that, I never would have been able to move forward. You know, my friends, um, we, we have friends in common from Havas. Yeah. And, you know, they had started the, the honor roll program, which, you know, brings a Lamborghini, a Porsche, a Ferrari, sports cars to a school and takes the the top three students at the school to school on the first day. That's an amazing idea. That's an amazing program. And I can't imagine a principal not wanting their top three students to arrive in style and like this music video kind of like experience. But they had, they told me that when they started that they had gone to CPS and it had gotten bogged down in all the, the bureaucratic red tape. And so instead of being in every CPS school, well, there's 646 of those, by the way, yeah. um, they are still at Wells High School stuck in that, in that position of only being in one school. So I think about that story all the time. I'm like, wow, there's an a organization that has way more resources than I do, has and a sexier cell almost to a certain degree, right? Um, and, and yet it's still stuck at the starting line because of the bureaucracy of the bureaucracy. And, 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 and that's a sad thing in its own right too. I don't want to like comment really too much on that, but like, um, we, we really need to figure out ways where if people want to help our schools, whether that's it, there's something more than just money, right? It, if you have an ability to mentor a kid, you should be able to mentor that kid. The students need to see people that love what they do. Yeah. Um, especially if they're in a less fortunate situation, mom or dad may not have a job or if they do have a job, they probably don't like their job. So they constantly communicate that they hate their job and kids pick up on that stuff. And then all of a sudden that kid doesn't have any inspiration to go do anything in the working world because they think it's always miserable and they think they always have to answer to a terrible boss or whatever. And honestly, like that's a terrible way to go about it. So if, one kid in assembly somewhere sees me doing what I love and that breaks through to them. They have an example of how someone did something different to do what they love. And then that might help them get to that kind of place in their oh own life. Oh my God, stop it. You're going to make me cry <laughs> on the, in the first episode. <laughs> no, um, you totally agree. You know, having kids myself and, you know, that's how, that's why I started the good campaign and I'm doing it even though I 100% don't know which direction I'm going uh, yet I, I want to do it because I want my kids my girls grew up seeing me doing something that matters to me that um, is passionate to me and that it's important and that it's a part of something bigger because I think we all are part of something bigger. 100%. we all live here we do all live here but that's a perfect example right like yeah. you are showing your girls how to do something that you're passionate about and they're going to take that lesson. You don't have to explicitly set, set, sit them down and say, Hey, 
I want you to do what you're passionate about in life. They'll get that through osmosis no, by just I seeing that you're doing it. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. Okay, so you told um, you're kind of answering questions before I ask them. Sorry. Um, That's you. what happens when you preempt me with some questions. I, oh, I, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but this one I haven't sent to you. It just came to me. I think let's talk about money. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like money is such an awkward subject in general. And I rambled and struggled for a minute with that, the fact that, you know, you need money to create a better world and create change in the world, you know? And it's like, if we can go and sell some bullshit product to people and they want it and they buy it, why not to do something and, and you know, make money and create good out of it? So how we all live here makes money. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you support it, the idea and keep it running? Um, that's an evolution. It's always an evolution. Yeah. So when I first started, I didn't really know. I was kind of taking a blind leap that I would figure out different ways to do it. Right away, I was forced with this struggle of nonprofit or for-profit, right? Yeah. And my nonprofit experience at the time consisted of being on the board of the Chicago Children's Choir. And I would see the <laughs> leaders of the, the, the Children's Choir having to spend so much time like with donors and kissing up to people to make sure that they got the money that they needed to run the organization. And immediately I knew that I would be terrible at that. Like I, that would be not my expertise. That would be not my strength. And that would be yeah. something I dreaded doing all the time. So I felt like, okay, not only do I not really have the network to be a nonprofit, I also don't think I would be very good at doing it, if, even if I had the network. So that made me think, okay, how can this be done in a for-profit way? Right. And there's a natural like assumption when you're doing something like this that, that is for good, that it is a nonprofit, and that's the way people think. But I think that um, what I wanted to do is just create products, experiences, services, that people would be happy to pay for because they would be knowing that it was, it was supporting this work that we do at the schools. And I felt like if I could clearly communicate that, mm -hmm. then I could make that um, distinction obvious for people. And then I wouldn't have to go try to make a network of foundations and wealthy people to donate. Instead, I could leverage the network I already had, which was more advertising and technology-based, and I can go to those people and say, hey, this is our service. This is what we're going to do. Do you want your employees to have some sort of a diversity and inclusion sort of experience where instead of putting them in a room and telling them that they have this implicit bias, which I think people automatically fight, they resist because they don't think they have it. That's part of the bias itself. Yeah. I think, though, if, if you do these projects with us at a school, all of a sudden it's about shifting the mindset, which is what you want to do anyways. And you become aware of the bias. You become aware of the things in a way that doesn't make you defensive. It, it happens in a way that makes you want to be better. Yeah, organically and right, naturally. Right. And I think that that works better. And the act of creation itself, just creating stuff, is a way of um, bringing people together to help create. So that alone also helps create the different mindset. So I, that, was, that was my approach, and it became something that, you know, we, we keep doubling our price with schools. Um, 
basically because I don't know what I can charge. I, yeah. I know a little bit more than I did before when I first started because, you know, I've been asked by schools to sit on their local school councils. And, um, so now I've done that out of school. I actually understand a little bit about the economics for each mm-hmm. school and what their tolerances for paying for things are. And there's this narrative that schools are broke that, you know, if you're not in schools, that's what you, you yeah. believe. Yeah. And it's not really true. There's always money available, yeah. but it's, it's about making yourself you in a way, your, your business in a way that it can receive those funds. And yeah. so, um, it's still always something that I'm thinking about. Like when is it the right time to start the nonprofit arm of we all live here? Because I think that there does need to be a, a nonprofit and a for-profit entity. Yeah. I think the, the nonprofit could own the for-profit and then that, that money would just automatically go to it. But, um, it has to be a certain, amount of money that's coming from donations and a certain amount of money that's coming from uh, foundation kind of money so that it makes it worth the time to keep up all those paper the paperwork requirements for running a nonprofit because at this point it's run just as a, a normal business and a lot of the times I can use my phone to just you know automatically track receipts all that kind of stuff and just have it kind of go to the QuickBooks and and make everything automatically match up for tax purposes yeah. when tax day comes along. Yeah, and I think we really need to skip the stigma of you know creating businesses that are creating to um, better the world and making money at the same time. I agree with you. I, 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 I think it's like a conversation that needs to happen, and that's why this podcast uh, is here to kind of break the stigma and make people understand that you know to to create any kind of um, change in the world, you need money, and it's normal, and it's a, you know, and it's a transaction. Why not to make it a good transaction? Why not to make it a transaction? 100%. Like, you know, if the school can, you know, spend money on, I don't know, buying, I don't know what they can buy, maybe some supplies, but why not? To well, spend if they're money buying, if they're buying pencils, project? right? If they're buying pencils, they're yeah. paying a company for the exactly. pencils. There's nothing wrong with that company selling pencils to a school. And nobody questions that. Nobody, right. Nobody has a right. issue. So like, there's no great area in, in that. So right. why not to pay for creating a more beautiful community, spreading a message, and involving kids of, like you said, of, of this uh, element of creation and moment of creation together, something that is actually positive and will stay with them Absolutely. for the rest of their lives. And I think that that actually... I got um, chills. I oh. think I think if we can kind of break through this idea, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You know what I mean? Like, it's constantly touted that a company has has to chase profit, or a company can do good, and that's not the case. It can do both. And something yes. like companies like the example that really um, is, I think, most similar to we all live here is Life is Good. Um, I think Life is Good. Um, they're based out of Massachusetts and they've been around for a really long time. I think they started in, in the nineties. Um, but they make $300 million a year with a slogan that life is good, but they started that out by being really, uh, social minded with local events to where they were building their brand off of doing good. And that's why it's similar to me. But they've now 
grown that business to a massively successful entity. That just allows them to do more good. And something like Tom's, right? Tom's is, I think Tom Mikowski is probably like the poster child right now for doing good um, because, you know, they sell shoes and then they give shoes. And I think that that is the types of things that we need to kind of showcase as examples rather than just the latest bastard billionaire who buys a Bucati, you know, like we don't, we don't need to like focus our, our attention or gaze on the people that are just, um, being robber barons. We need to focus our attention, our gaze on the people that are building businesses in the right way. And quite frankly, most businesses aren't going to make a billionaire. Most businesses are going to support a family, a a, yeah. a person, a group, if, whatever the case may be. Before you worked at Tumblr and, you know, whatever right. you did there and you get paid for it, like why you shouldn't be get paid and, and, and do something amazing for everyone. Right, yeah. right. I'm glad we agree. <laughs> well, it's totally, I mean, you and I are on the exact same page with that. Right? Um, okay, so uh, you, told, you said um, one lesson already, I feel like, to um, everyone who listens to this. Do you have any advice for people who, you know, who also have this need and idea and believe that, you know, business can be created to mm-hmm. not only to make a profit, but make a change or actually can be created to make a change and then profit? Um, do you have any advice like, you know, where you are, where you came from? It felt, it felt like you already said that to kind of like follow your, um, your intuition and your inner voice. Um, I, it's more about rather than following your inner voice, it's more about stopping listening to your inner doubt, right? Like there's, everybody has doubt. Every single person has doubt. Someone who just won the Olympic gold medal of whatever still is worried about their next race. You know what I mean? Like that is not something that ever happened. Michael Jordan, I forget the quote, but he misses whatever amount of shots that he didn't takes, he get, right? he like, rejected in high school from <laughs> Yeah, he didn't make the high school basketball oh. team. So, like, the, this idea that you will be in a place where everything is going to be just right is, is just wrong. Nothing and it's like your that own, exists. that's your own excuse to not do things. So, stop listening to that. And if you have something that you think you can do, guess what? You can. So, do it. And don't rely on, you know, meeting the right person to make that happen. Just do it because you know what? When you do meet the right person, if you've gotten something started, you have a lot more to talk to them about than the what if because you have something to show. Like it goes, I think about this all the time now. Like I can't believe sometimes that I was able to get people to want to do this. It's more of a testament to the power of these four simple words that people did do it. But now I have lots of examples of what we can do for any given school, any given company, any given anything. And so we have these examples to share. Before, it was just an idea. And this is what we might do. And this is what we've done before, but this is what we might do for you. And now it's a lot easier. And it's because every day through that struggle, there was another thing created, another thing done, another example to show. And so that's the most important thing for people that are getting started with something is just get started. You right. can do it. It's so totally possible. So don't listen to the voices in your head. Totally do don't it. listen and to the voices in it. your head. The we voices in your head say, are just, they're, they're making you doubt your abilities. You're a very capable person. Just go do it. Awesome. Love that. 
Um, okay, so are there any, I, I'm sucker for information like this, are there any apps or programs that you <laughs> can yeah. run we all live here without that you think like let's exclude ex instagram please <laughs> yeah i don't care about instagram really yeah. Instagram's about a way for me to share that things are being done but it doesn't do anything for me um let me say that again instagram doesn't do anything for me uh, <laughs> don't say that <laughs> it, it 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 spreads awareness but it doesn't exactly. actually it accomplish it doesn't accomplish anything. You still need to do hey, a lot more out of it. This is how I met you. I saw an it's Instagram invites to for your before it was cool to clean up parks. You did a park cleanup in Chicago and Grand Park. That's true. I saw it on somebody's Instagram and I show up and I clean park with you. So don't but as far as an, as far as a useful app is concerned, though, like <laughs> I I use all of Adobe's Creative Suite okay. relentlessly. So I'm using Photoshop. I'm using Illustrator. I'm using those tools to create what you see in the real world on a computer so first, everything is done on the computer first, and then I can recreate it in the, in the real world. But that's the way that I can make sure that it's correct before I go out there and make it um, publicly available. So those are much more useful to me as far as that's concerned. Um, apps like PayPal to make things like invoicing, which might suck, um, not suck. It just super simple. Super, super simple. Easy. It automatically tracks it. It automatically sends reminders if someone hasn't paid. All those things that like you used to have a back office person doing all those things that would take up a lot of little amounts of time. That can now all be done with the phone or your computer. Uh, things so like Evernote to make sure oh, Evernote is my favorite. Yeah, to make time. sure that I've got like this to do list because essentially what I what I've created, it sounds glamorous, but really it's just a project management nightmare at all times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I need, I need apps like Evernote to keep me on track so that I'm constantly like checking off what needs to be done and what needs to be done in the right order so that I'm not focusing all my energies on something that yeah. isn't important compared to doing the work on something that is important. Um, and then let's see what else is there. I, I mean, I guess I would just generally say my phone in general. I think people <laughs> like give phones the amazing? bad rap of yeah. like, oh, I, I'm, I'm addicted to my phone. No, you're not. You're still in charge of your own body. Yeah. If you don't like answering the phone at the dinner table, put the phone in the, in the living room. Yeah. You know, put the phone in your bedroom. Let it charge. Like you, you can take back control of your life without yeah. having to do anything. But for me, no, the phone is something that I never look at as like this impediment. I look at it completely as this like Amazing enabler tool. that, yes, is such a tool. I mean, there's a mural that I did in Fulton Market. The wall was 90 feet wide. And that wall, I needed to kind of get a sense of it. And all I did was take a picture, take a picture, take a picture, take a picture, because I didn't like the panorama. It wasn't useful. Just put all those pictures together and stitch them together in Photoshop to give me the backdrop that I needed to make the idea, you know, more real to make all the mock-up. All done with your phone. All done with the phone. So, um, yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. We, we give our phones a little bit of the bad rep, but, um, but they are really um, so useful. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've done a lot already. 
Um, like I said, I, I participated in a few things, amazing uh, drawing with the chalk emojis in front of beautiful yeah. um, Mac store. Um, uh, all murals all over the city. What is your favorite baby? Oh, that's a good question. It's kind of like asking who your favorite child is if you have Come kids. On. We all have. I have two favorite kids. <laughs> who do I have? The so I think the the mural that is the mural that I'm most proud of is is the planet mural in the West Loop. I think I love just being asked to to do that by the West Loop community organization because someone had sprayed some racist graffiti on the bridges. And then the fact that someone thought to call me and say, hey, can we do something that like is a response to this, that reminds people that this isn't allowed in our neighborhood. The fact that any of that even happened is amazing to me that I was on that phone call. And then the fact that we, we were able to make that happen, which is this mural that we're talking about is a 42 feet by 42 feet, 6,400 six inch by six inch tile planet earth and um that wall took a lot of time took a lot of effort took a lot of donations took a lot of people to make it happen but i wanted i wanted to create that thing so that people whether they were artistic or not could know they could come put a tile on the wall and all they were doing was putting the next one in the row but at the end they they would know that they contributed to it in a very physical way and they would have this huge physical reminder of what we can achieve when we work together. That's beautiful. The, I think my favorite one so far, just because of that, there's other ones that we're working on that are really exciting. We just did a thing with the Blackhawks. Yeah. I saw that. How exciting is that? Weekend before last, right? Um, that was incredible. And so like even being able to just be in the room with the Chicago Blackhawks and talk to them about doing something to spread this message, and then all of a sudden be up on like the scoreboard, that's, that's mind blowing to me. But it, again, it just shows you the, the power of what can happen and who can want to help you if they know about something that you're doing. And if you are not lazy and don't listen to your voices. No inner voices. And you take an action. Correct. <laughs> just to summarize. Uh, okay, so just one last question. You know, by the end of, in the, uh, by the beginning of the day, there's Rich as a person, what do you do like to kind of disconnect from, uh, from all of it? Because sometimes we need to kind of, you know, keep ourselves keep ourselves sane and disconnect from everything and kind of get inspiration from where else. How do you get inspired or how do you break, um, get a break? What do you do? Um, I'm not going to ask. What is your hobby, Rich? No, my so. <laughs> My morning or dog like a walk habit that, you, that you have, like yeah. something that is my morning dog walk with with Benson to go get coffee in the morning and to just sit and kind of read. This dog is huge, by the way. Yeah, he's a great Dane. She <laughs> is. I heard, I heard they're like super cute babies. They yeah, like he's babies. a big teddy bear. All he wants to do is just meet more people and see if they have treats and if they have them, get them. Um, but but that morning dog walk um, coffee routine where I read, you know, all the latest news in cranes or wherever, that is sort of my kind of moment where I get ready to face the day and I kind of, you know, plan out what I'm going to do every day. And if it wasn't for that, I'd probably be totally insane. Um, but I don't really necessarily believe in 
self-care or whatever but i don't i i think that that's like the most overhyped thing that there is um but if you uh if you have a passion for something and you truly really do believe in it there is no need to turn off from that um so it doesn't ever feel like a burden yeah but i definitely need that morning coffee walk with the dog to kind of get ready to face the day Oh my god, I think we found one thing we disagree on. <laughs> Self-care is overrated. What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, tell us how we can find we all live here, how we can yeah. help, how people can get involved. Um, yeah. So the website is we all live here project.com. Uh, the social media handles are, are we all live here, whether that's Twitter or, or Instagram, Facebook. Um, and we are always looking for people to come help us make the things that we make. Because uh, you have programs for school, you have programs for businesses, you have even for yeah, private people. So if you have a company, then the company wants to um, do a team building experience. We, awesome. we can do that. If you have a company that wants to do some co corporate social responsibility stuff, we can do that. If you have uh, a need to help a team and another team that aren't really getting along figure out a way to get along we have kind of the ideal solution for that so we have these um, ways to get involved but also we're always doing things in in different communities and neighborhoods and and generally speaking we partner with um, existing organizations in those communities yeah. things like chambers of commerce and um, libraries and community centers and community organizations so um, whenever we do those things, you know, follow along with your local leaders. And when we do do something in your community, then we will be on your radar. Join. And then if you follow us in general, um, there'll be bigger things that are more, yeah, I, I feel like city here. things like the Apple one that you just mentioned. It was so much fun for my kids yeah. to come in and get a chalk and and uh, do it with everyone. It was, it was a really fun day. Yeah, that, those are the kinds of things where I think we want to try to make these big experiences that bring everybody from all over the city together. Um, we, we learn a little bit every time we do one, and sometimes... Is there anything next coming up that you have like a bigger thing that you can share, or it's more of the like go... Maybe there's, the there, so there's some, there's some interesting stuff that's coming up um, we're going to be doing a lot more of the portrait types of murals like you and your, your kids came to do in Edgewater. Um, we had some really good meetings about locations for those things to do them kind of on a bigger scale, almost like the artist JR. Um, so that's, that's exciting for me and it'll be exciting for people to see those happening. Um, but I can't really get into too many of those details, Secret. but just like <laughs> stay tuned. Follow us and, and all will be revealed. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Rich. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and coming in and talking to me. And thanks for making the world better. You're welcome. Let's, thanks for thanks for putting something this together and give us a, a platform to talk more. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you. Jesus, it's supposed to be like 20 minutes, dude, and you talk and you talk and you talk well, so you much good shit. I like there's like nothing to edit there. Wait, I don't want to. If I, I'm going to lose it, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> Wait. Hi, this is Anya. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rich. 
and the first episode of the In The Good Company. More good people, good advice and good companies to come on the podcast. So please subscribe. And in the meantime, have a wonderful day, week and month. And I'll talk to you soon. Love and light.